The GDP of Texas in 2021 was $2 trillion. Versus, Russia has a smaller economy than Texas does. Yes. And they're trying to take on the world at this point. Uh, they have one friend in China, but that's not a really loyal friend. They just haven't placed sanctions. They're kind of toeing the line. They're not taking any direct participatory role. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, or uh, again, good morning for the first time, unless you, somebody else is good morning to you. Well, good morning anyway from the personal wealth coach. This is Jake McClure, and on the line with me I have... Jeff McClure. We didn't say our names together. Just we're, well, you we're could not say, tempting fate. We could say, on the line with us today, we have Jake and Jeff McClure. McClure. Wow, we did it. See, we can we say our it. names. We're, we're getting right. good at this. Something else has to change to break our supply chain of unison. Uh-oh. Going to have to happen. Don't challenge worse. Yeah, there's always worse. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach. There's always better, too. Um, well, I'm not saying you should find something better than the personal wealth coach because we think we're pretty good. But there is always better. Uh, we are to talk to you this week about, and every week, about economics, about the market, about what's happening in the world and what it means to you. But before we do that, we have to disclose, which is like saying open, but talk about legal stuff is very rarely open sounding. So we're going to call it not closed instead. So here are our disclosures. Number one. We don't pay for this radio program, nor are we paid to do this radio program. We do, however, the firm, the personal wealth coach, does buy advertisement with the studio in partnership to promote the radio program. They also do their own promotion of the radio program. Um, the personal wealth coach is an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. But this radio program doesn't offer investment advice. Investment advice is in the best interest of the client. It's fiduciary. There's privacy restrictions. And it's really hard to do that on the radio. So what do we do instead? We're giving educational information. We're going to talk to you about what stuff means and how to prepare for things like what is inflation and how do you prepare for it. Um, stuff like that. Uh, but not what you should buy today or sell today. That's, you should probably not be taking that from the radio anywhere. Okay. You want to give the next one? Well, let's see. I what did say we're good... SEC registered, so you can talk about how they don't. Okay. We are, we are registered with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, the, the personal wealth coach as an investment advisory firm. But that doesn't mean the SEC, which is short for the Securities and Exchange Commission. Right. Very short. Approves of us or disapproves us or anything else. It simply means that they are our regulatory agency. And it doesn't mean we're special because we're registered with the SEC. It wait, just means. Wait, your wife is my mom and she said I'm special my whole You're life. special, but it has I'm nothing to do with special. the SEC. You can be uh, in my there, special person club too if you'd want. There is a rule that the SEC has. 
that says if a, an investment advisory firm, and that's what we are, has less than $100 million under management, then the states regulate them. And if it's over $100 million under management, then the SEC jumps in there and does the regulation. And that's all it says about us. Yeah. Um, you, we are, as Jake said, providing education, not investment advice on this radio program. You're going to do and the information that we use to, the information we use to provide that education has been obtained. This is passive. We have obtained it from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to its accuracy or completeness. Now, we, one, we, we've been missing a disclosure. Prices may be higher or lower when bought than when sold. Uh, prices may be higher or lower before you buy them than at the time you buy them as well. Share prices. We, we're not recommending you buy anything, but we, it's True. always in there someplace. You know, the share True. prices may be lower or higher when sold than when bought. Peanut butter prices may also be higher or lower before or after purchase. If you intend to resell the peanut butter, please do not open it first. Yes. We well, have some more we're actually in pretty good shape on peanuts. Peanuts are good. Yeah. Because we are the number one supplier of peanuts in the world. Yes. And we don't have a lot of competition. And one of the main reasons is the rest of the world doesn't eat a lot of peanuts. So that's one of the few commodities that are not being affected by the invasion of Ukraine. Peanuts. Peanuts. Enjoy your peanuts. Now, if, you, if Russia invaded Alabama, we'd be in a world of hearth. A world of hearth? Hurt. Hurt, yes. Yeah, because that would damage the peanut butter crop. The peanut crop. Jimmy Carter Severe. would not be happy about that. Right. Just to let you know that things in the headlines are not necessarily completely lined up with, the reality. with what's going on in the real world. Which brings us very nicely, by the way. To John's question about stock price crawl. Yes. We have sounds a, like a game. We have to introduce John again. Our Inquisitor John, our most faithful questioner, uh, has sent us two questions this week. Prior to the program beginning, this is, I mean, he's, he does show prep for us, and I really appreciate that. He's looking at articles often all through the week and getting ready. Uh, we appreciate you, John. Thank you. All right, so... The first question, you, you want to answer the stock price crawl one? Or do you, I'll, sure. I will read it out for you. Okay. On most financial TV shows, they show a last trade stock price crawl on the bottom of the screen. With millions of trade made daily and the slow speed of the crawl, how accurate are those figures? Not. That was my answer. I can tell you they're very accurate after the market closes. Unless yes. they start quoting the after hours, which many of them do, and then they're just as accurate as, the, as they were before, which is to say not. Um, there's a major delay in those, and if you watch the, those crawls at all, like I, this is part of the reason why I don't watch television is I get hyper-focused in on, wait a minute, they just repeated the same price quote five minutes after they repeated they said it the first time, that is not right. And I'll be far more focused on that, even though I don't even know what company it is that's being represented on the crawl. There was a time when we had something called a ticker tape back in the 19th century and early 20th century. And that's how people away from the actual stock market exchange in New York knew what price a stock was being bought or sold for. 
It was in essence a broadband um, telegraph. Right. And they sent the and same telegraph signal across many different wires, and so you'd have people specifically hooked up for it. They'd have to run a special wire to the place that had the ticker tape going. Everywhere had its own special wire going to it. It was like its mm -hmm. own telephone network. It was, a, it was a very it was a strip of teletype tape. Yeah. And it's kind of got embedded in our brains somehow that that tells us something about the stock market. So those electronic versions of the same thing are just advertisement. They're eye candy. Um, Nobody they give you some general idea about what went on a few minutes ago. The percentage of the viewing audience that has any idea what each of those tickers means is vanishingly small, <laughs> extremely vanishingly small. People are sitting and they, some people might look up stock prices based on that crawl, but not very many people. It's just there for eye candy. It keeps you, oh, something's going mm -hmm. on. Something's happening. If, Let's watch that. If, if you really want to know the, the price a stock for which a, 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 a stock is being bought and sold moment to moment, you need to spend a lot of money on something like a Bloomberg terminal. Right. So and even, it will be sort of a blur and you, you can watch the price go up and down on a given stock and know that you're pretty close to real time. Now, if you really wanted real time trades in a stock, you have to have a computer that's doing the trade yeah. because the, tra the prices change in nanoseconds, literally. One millionth of a second. Right. And people do a lot of trading through their computers on those nanosecond trades. And so the stuff you see on television with the stock crawl going across there yeah. is it's an ill elephant or ir irrelevant it's, or it's something a, like that. It's a fig tree in your amalgamation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's an, it's an ill elephant. Well, the next subject that he asked about is a really good one. Yeah. I'm, do you mind if I touch the beginning of it? You, this is you a big enough question. Can, we can both talk about it. Okay. It's a big enough question to spend some time on and one worth spending time on. Uh, his, the subject of the email is a new definition or new definition of inflation, question mark. Uh, it's a picture of the Wall Street Journal, multiple pictures of the Wall Street Journal with pen, pinned in circles of different parts of the article and asking us if we agree. Um, it's basically, and, and I'm going to sum this up because the parts of uh, that are circled kind of come to a theme. And one part of it that is the biggest part of the theme is the idea that inflation is a function of too much money chasing too few goods has lost favor and has the, as has the idea that low unemployment drives high inflation. Okay. This is something, I never get tired of this one, by the way, because it feels like this is a, an area that's really lacking in education. We all experience inflation, and it would be kind of nice if we could learn about it in school. Inflation has an uncountable number of causes. It's, it's impossible to account all the things that can cause inflation because one thing caused it really strongly and is not causing it now doesn't mean it doesn't cause inflation anymore. So what is inflation? Let's give the simplest definition. This is, you know, people can say, and this they said it in here, too much money following too few goods. 
that's kind of a fallback definition. But the easiest definition, it's bigger words, but it's not hard words. It's the decline of purchasing power of a currency inside its own nation. Okay, well, what can cause that? Well, too much money can cause it. Too few goods can cause it. A lot of money, but not a lot of it being spent can cause it. Uh, Places charging that country more money, either because of a trade war or because uh, there's less of that product around or more people elsewhere want it, that can cause inflation. Let's get really, really micro. At the micro level, there's no such thing as inflation. I'll explain. Say you've got a piano. You take it to an auction in a cattle town, a small cattle town in Texas. You have a beautiful grand piano that is, uh, you know, people would say this is a $100,000 piano on the general market. Well, you take it to auction for charity and you think this is going to raise a whole bunch of money. It's going to be amazing. And it sells for $10,000. Did that affect inflation? Well, no. Did it affect deflation? Well, no. Did you lose money on that trade? Yes. I mean, if it was for charity, the charity didn't get as big an amount of money coming in. If everybody wanted to buy that piano and they bought it for $600,000, did that affect the price of pianos everywhere else in the world? No. So at a micro level... The price is moving up and down. We have to average it out before we really call it inflation. We can have prices going down for the average American and still the wrong prices going up, really hurting people on fixed income. So food and energy changes all the time. And people, you hear people talk about, you know, we're removing food and energy from the uh, inflation calculations to get a more stable view It's because there's harvest seasons. And by their nature, if you're buying grapes in the middle of a harvest season, they're cheaper than if you're buying them a long time from the harvest season. This, to most people, is pretty common sense when broken down like this. If this year's grape harvest is smaller than last year's grape harvest, it may cause inflation in grapes that has absolutely nothing to do with how much money you're getting paid at your job or what particular president just said about uh, taxation or how much spending is going to occur in the economy. So when I say there are literally thousands, maybe more than uncountable numbers of things that can cause inflation, that's, that's not being silly. Now, there's some core items that we know can cause really bad inflation, and we have a tendency to do. That kind of wage price spiral that we saw in the 70s is one cause. War is often a cause, very often a cause of inflation, because it's harder to get goods. Uh, It doesn't mean that you suddenly have too much money chasing that good. It's simply that you need to come up with enough money to buy it which causes the value of your money to be less. You've got less of it too because you spent more of it on a thing. So it's literally not too much money. It's as as much money as you have to spend on it. When it comes to food, that's pretty important. Um, 
And this is where I'm going to give my dire prediction. And then I'll pass the inflation conversation on to you. Mm. I have a dire prediction. A prediction. A dire prediction. It's, it's actually seriously not a, a happy one. We are, I'm going to say it, we're going to have civil war and not here. In North Africa, we're going to have civil war and famine uh, this year. Probably yes. starting in about six months. Do you remember the m- massive explosion of, of a bunch of fertilizer in Beirut a little over a year ago? Yes. It was really yes. big. It made the news. It was there for a couple of days, and people were like, oh, that was horrible, and man, it blew up a bunch of stuff. It blew up the national silos in Beirut. They import almost 100% of their food, and those silos are intended to hold about eight years of the country's supply so that price shocks from wars and things don't affect them. 30% of the wheat in the world market last year came from a combination of Ukraine and Russia. It's not going to be there this this time around. We're going to see our bread prices go up. They're going to have famines in North Africa. That will cause civil wars because... When there's not enough food to go around, people fight over it. And the original, you know, air quotes, democratic movements across North Africa that ousted uh, the Libyan dictator, that ousted the dictator of Tunisia, that changed the government in Egypt, that caused civil war again in Somalia, Somalia that all of this happened because Russia had a bad wheat harvest. And the original self-immolation that made the movement a democratic movement in Tunisia that started the Arab Spring that looked like this amazing freedom movement was a bread riot. So when we talk about history, Northern Africa is, you know, the, the Romans had a saying about keeping peace with the mob, and it's been true across Italy and North Africa for as long as there have been human history. And that is that you keep the mob in line with bread and circuses. You've heard me talk about this if you listen during the pandemic. When we shut down the sports stadiums at the beginning of the pandemic, I said expect something to cause very large riots uh, in all aspects of the political spectrum starting in about six months. And then we had the Antifa and, uh, I guess, Tifa? or the fascist, we had Black Lives Matter, we had Antifa, and then we had the opposite side on the right wing. And it had a lot more to do with human behavior. We didn't have sports to watch, so we were complaining about things, and those of us that were already upset about something got into a feedback loop of more upset. Now, we can make positive changes. This is generally when positive changes happen, is when the focus comes back to whatever's really bothering us rather than the distractions of other things going on. North Africa is about to lose its bread. And North Africa gives free bread. Almost all of the countries of North Africa still give free bread to the people. And in the Arab Spring movement, the bread was no longer free. It was just subsidized, which caused a lot of people to go hungry And the first person to self-immolate was a bread seller because he was not able to stay in business and it was horrible. 
So there's more horror coming, and that's my dire prediction. There's also really, really, really good stuff coming in our economy, which is really hard to take after my really negative statement a second ago. We are the next in line as the top supplier of wheat to the world. And you can't replant your winter wheat at this point, but you can plant your spring wheat a little bit late and make a bunch of money at harvest time because that's where we are. The world is not going to suddenly get a bunch more wheat that we're not expecting. So all of that's inflation speak because inflation in wheat is not just inflation in wheat. It's just there's not enough wheat but we could call that inflation if there's enough items that's hard to buy causing us to have to pay more money for it. Okay, that was a long-winded explanation. Now I'm handing it over to you for more long-windedness, please. The question came from an article about Charles Goodhart, who wrote a book a while back on this subject. And it so happens that he wrote the book about three years ago, and he forecast that in 2022, we would see inflation. 2021, 2022, we would see inflation take off. And of course, he had no idea about the pandemic coming. He wasn't forecasting pandemics. He wasn't forecasting a war in Ukraine. He simply said that that'll be the turning point, and we will get much higher inflation, and it will persist for decades to come after that. His argument was, and it's it's based on all the evidence, he's got a good argument. He basically said the concept of, of employment and wages and the things that we were using to estimate inflation in the past weren't working, and it showed. We got down to a low level of unemployment um, in 2018, 2019, that should have generated, according to the theories that were out there, the theories that we've been working on for many years in the United, in the United States and around the world, should have generated high inflation but it didn't. We had full employment and inflation didn't go up. And he said the reason inflation didn't go up was because there was cheap labor in China and Asia that was coming online that was keeping the prices down. Good argument. He also said that the demographics that we've been talking about for years, the Chinese demographics where their population has probably already peaked, their working population has probably already peaked and is beginning to decline, combined with increased consumer consumption, which sounds like a redundant statement all over again. Well, I mean, what do consumers do? I mean, you would they assume. They consume, because, right. Uh, yeah. But increased consumption, both in China and around the world, means that the demand continues to go up, but the labor supply to make this stuff ain't going up anymore. As a matter of fact, it's starting down. So he said prices will go up. He has a very solid argument. Does that mean he's absolutely correct? Nope. No. Because the, the uh, other argument on the other side of that, and there's always arguments in economics, you can't have a two-handed economist or a one-handed, everybody's got like eight arms. On the other hand, automation. Yes. And an example of what the other hand can do was seen in the final report that came out from the Labor Department on productivity in the fourth quarter of 2021 was up 6.6% in the United States. That is earth-shaking. Uh, when productivity goes up, it is primarily because increased automation is coming into place. As the price- Cheap labor becomes ultra cheap labor because a machine is doing it. There's, there's a lag here though. And for example, the price of oil, the price of oil going up 
OPEC has not wanted this high a price of oil for a long time. They're dragging their feet right now, and I've got some reasons for that. I, I but, think this is the last time they have the opportunity to profit from oil in the next uh, for the next long time because well, they didn't want a high price of oil. They didn't want it above a hundred dollars a barrel for a very simple reason. Once oil goes above a hundred dollars per barrel, it incentivizes a the discovery of new oil sources because it's becomes profitable to suck it out of the ground, which is what fracking is all about, and b a rotation to something other than burning oil, which is going on in the United States right now. The demand for electric cars is through the stratosphere. Uh, they're far more, they're far less oil consumptive than our internal this, combustion that engines. That explains some of the inflation there, because there's really only one electric car that's through the stratosphere. It's way out there, heading towards. Oh yeah, Mars. Well, getting us off. Matter of fact, the the. Uh, the war in Ukraine is going to go further towards getting us off fossil fuels quicker than anything the environmentalists could do. Yeah. Because True. it takes quite a while to extract hydrocarbons from under the ground. It's a very large investment to do so. And the last time we got heavily invested in pulling hydrocarbons out of the ground, oil ultimately fell to a negative $35. Which is, oil is a boom and bust issue. And investors are hesitant to get back into that boom and bust thing. Their drilling is is going to go up. It isn't going up very quickly right now for a very simple reason. It takes quite a while to assemble the people, which we're short of, assemble the equipment and go out and drill a hole in the ground. Now, there's a lot of work going on right now uh, going into existing wells and causing them to become more productive. Yeah. But even that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of equipment. And you can't just produce that stuff out of space. So the oil price is going to be up. And like I said, I wanted to talk about why oil prices are up. We, I've been asked probably at least half a dozen times in the last week, if we are net oil exporters, if we're actually producing more oil in the United States than we burn, why are prices going up in the United States? There's a simple answer, and we put that in the newsletter, but it's a little more complex than that. First off, the simple answer is, it's getting hard to get oil out of Russia, not because we've embargoed oil. Not, as a matter of fact, the, the, the sanctions very clearly left the banks out that finance oil shipments and everything else so as not to impede the oil going to Europe. Because Europe has about 40% of its petroleum coming from Russia right now. And it's winter. And having Europeans freezing to death is a bad idea. So why is the price of oil going up? Well, there's a, there's a couple of very good, several very good reasons. First off, in order to ship a shipload of oil from a Russian port where the oil is to someplace where the oil needs to be burned, uh, people need to use the oil, you have to finance that cargo. And people are kind of amazed at that. I mean, they don't pay cash on the barrel. No, they don't. It's exactly the same That's, thing as if would, you that order would be something. A, a really big barrel. The whole ship is the barrel. So it'd be cash on the ship head. Sorry, well, sorry. it's cash on the barrel head. When you buy a barrel of oil, you put cash on the barrel head. And but the, the barrel itself is the ship. Well, yeah, so I got you. That's what I'm saying is the ship. Head. It's it's a metaphorical barrel. Because uh, those barrels really only got to be used again right. when the oil dropped down to negative so, 35. When you buy something online, you have to have credit to do that. You have to have a credit card. You literally are borrowing the money. If I buy $100 worth of stuff from Amazon or anywhere else, I have to be able to borrow $100 to do that. And even a debit bank, card 
does a quick borrow and then accesses your money. This is why right. it doesn't appear on your statement right away sometimes. So if I don't have any credit, if my credit is zero and I don't have a credit card, I can't buy stuff from far away. I have to physically go there and pay cash for it, which is very inefficient and we don't do a lot of that. The same thing is true with a tanker full of oil that somebody someplace wants to buy. They have to get financing to buy that tanker full of oil. What's more, they have to get insurance on the tanker full of oil before the tanker will take the oil from one place to another. It's like Amazon is driving these vehicles around, but they have to have insurance on the vehicles before they can drive them and haul the stuff to your door. Right now, for some reason, I can't imagine why, insurance companies hesitate to insure Russian tankers. What, why Particularly hmm. when... Since Russia exports in the wintertime, it's, it's got a port way up north, but it's frozen over at this point. So if, ex, if Russia is going to export oil, it has to go through the Black Sea and the Sea of, is it Armuz? I think it is. Artaz, or anyway, the sea that where all the fighting is going on right there near uh, It's not Armuz. Uh, Crimea. I'll, I'll look it up. Anyway. It starts with an A. And ships have been hit by missiles that are traveling through that area. So insurance companies will not insure the ships. For some reason, though, they're traveling around where anti-ship missiles are flying around is considered to be poor insurance practice to insure those ships. The other thing is Azov. banks Azov. Azov. Banks don't want to finance those trips in those ships for a couple of reasons. One, not the least of which is uh, a Russian ship pulled into a uh, British port recently and said let's unload the oil you need the oil we need to get rid of it and the british said no the workers said no we're not going to unload your oil because you're a russian ship what it has done is it cut about half of russia's oil exports out of the market russia provides about 12 percent of the oil for the globe which means global supply suddenly dropped six percent and since the price of oil that you see when people quote price world is actually a futures price for next month there is a general assumption that the rest of the ships may not be able to leave port so there's an assumption in the market right now that oil supplies are going to be cut by 12 percent. let me finish this out and i'll I just have a over quick to thing to add to okay. the subject and that is that the statements made by the putin regime at this point about western companies that are pausing businesses um during the war about nationalizing their facilities, like McDonald's. McDonald's says, mm -hmm. we're pausing, we're not leaving for good, but we're leaving, we don't need to be involved in the middle of a war. And Russia is the head of the trademark office in Russia and Putin have both said, well, we may nationalize your assets. Well, the last place that did that was Venezuela. It's really not a good thing for future foreign investment prospects to have that as the front page of the uh, of the uh, chart of why it's a good idea to invest in Russia or Russian goods or to finance Russia. Russia, uh, Putin also added one quick thing in here. He said he just did the equivalent of what we would call a, an executive order, only it has a bit more power when Putin is doing it in Russia. And that is that it is now possible for russian companies to pay debts to foreign debt holders in rubles even 
when it's denominated in dollars. So what does that mean? It means that if you made a loan to a company to load a bunch of oil on, but you don't want to make it in rubles because that thing's really unstable. I'm making the loan in dollars. You need to pay me back in dollars. And Russia says, here's some rubles. How likely are you to, to, to fund that next expedition? <laughs> but relatively permanent. The thing I was saying last hour about McDonald's, there are over 300 Western companies that are no longer based in Russia, that are they're stopping either permanently or temporarily. Uh, used to be Royal Dutch Shell. They're now Shell. Um, uh, Royal Dutch Shell just gave up a 10% stake in Gazprom, which they're now, well, they're not Royal Dutch Shell anymore. They're Shell, um, which is now causing them to say, hey, we lost a lot of money on that. Uh, but people are willing to write that off. They don't want to be doing business with a nation that is actively invading other nations. It's, that's dangerous. Don't support that. IKEA is leaving. Um, and if the threats being made by the Putin regime about nationalizing that stuff occur, this is much more like Cuba, like Venezuela, like an Iron Curtain on trade. Because you can't invest in trade with a country that will confiscate your assets for things that are not your, your fault. Wars happen, but when you're, when you're dealing with a company because it's based in another country and they're deciding to protect their employees by not being there during a war, taking their assets away from them means you don't get them coming back on the other side. Venezuela did this with McDonald's, just as a side note. McDonald's left Venezuela um, right at the end of the Chavez regime. But there's still McDonald's in Venezuela. Caracas has several. Um, they are not McDonald's. They just sort of look like them. The food is horrible. The and why, How do I know this? Well, um, I have esoteric tastes in watching people eat things that are really gross. Um, I think a lot of people have that occasionally where ever since, you know, elementary school where the kids said, I'm going to eat this. And you go, no, no, don't eat. Oh, he ate it. Oh, why did I watch that? Well, I've watched it. And there's a lot of travel documentaries that make a point of eating at McDonald's in Venezuela because it is not McDonald's and it tastes really, really bad. And often they get sick afterwards. And McDonald's is not likely to go back to Venezuela as a co company. Just, just saying that if they've been officially allowed to plagiarize McDonald's, to use McDonald's's name to create horrible products. This is not a good conduct. That's not conducive to long-term business relationships. Um, Ikea is out. This is, Financial Times has a, an article and at the beginning of it is the end of an era. Um, it's the end of a, the, an era. Ikea, Russia's middle class, class and the new Cold War. With the number of companies that are pulling out of Russia, Russia still has an economy. They still are able to produce things on their own. They're still uh, doing well on their own, but their economy is likely to be cut in half. And this is something we were talking before the program. Russia's GDP, um, the year before the invasion of, of Ukraine, was about 23 trillion dollar with a T. Um, 
after the invasion of Ukraine in 2015, their GDP was about 1.36 trillion. So 2.3 to 1.3. They lost a trillion dollars of their GDP from the invasion, from sanctions. Their GDP in 2020 was about 1.5 trillion. So still significantly below the 2.3 that they were before the first invasion. And the sanctions there were nothing compared to what are being leveled now, which means at a minimum, I would expect that their GDP will be cut in half again, which now you're talking like $750 billion. And that's what we spent on defense, just defense. The GDP of Texas in 2021 was $2 trillion. Russia has a smaller economy than Texas does. Yes. And they're trying to take on the world at this point. Uh, They have one friend in China, but that's not a really loyal friend. They just haven't placed sanctions. They're kind of toeing the line. They're not taking any direct participatory role. One of the things that I read and I think is very accurate about what's going on in China, and this was anonymously uh, confirmed with Chinese bankers and officials, is China does not want to get into the position of buying all the stuff that Russia wants to export to keep Russia afloat for a very simple reason. Russia could cut it off. If China becomes dependent upon Russia's exports of oil, for example, like Europe has, then Russia Russia suddenly has China On in a, leash, a lock grip. A leash that looks like a pipeline. And the last thing China wants is get dependent upon anybody, whether it's Iran or Russia or anybody else for their raw materials. Now, one thing, now we're kind of moving to a slightly different subject, but it's on the same concept. There are a series of Chinese companies that are about to be delisted from the United States Stock Exchange. Not because we don't like China. That's irrelevant. It's because they failed to provide publicly viewable audits of their accounting by a third party for the last three years. If it were an American company, they'd be out after the second quarter. They wouldn't wait for (laughs) 12 quarters for this. Two quarters, you don't have an audit, you're off the exchange. Now, these Chinese companies are listed on something called an ADR. That's called an American Depository Receipt. And it's a way that you can trade a foreign denominated ownership inside the United States. But a lot of money flowed into these companies from the United States markets because they were following accounting practices that we follow to say we're sure that the money is being spent the way it says it's being spent. There's a third-party auditor that's come in and verified that the things that were bought were actually bought or the things that were sold were actually sold. Well, there's a whole bunch of major Chinese companies that are about to be delisted because they haven't had a third-party audit in three years. Um, This happened another time to European companies in this century. Right after Enron and Arthur Anderson went kerplunk, we changed our accounting practices and we said these are the kind of accounting audits that we require. And the Europeans didn't pick them up right away and a whole bunch of European ADRs got dropped from the exchanges. Now, there's a newer law that's being applied now, but it's essentially the same thing saying to China, hey, you can't sell us stuff unless we know there's not fraud. Uh, You're saying there's not fraud, but there's an easy way to prove it. We all do it. 
why aren't you? And if you signed up to be on our exchange, you said you'd get audited and you have it. So th- that's another big event that's happening. One of the things I think that's it's in the papers and it, or at least it's in the reports we read, and it's important to understand is capital investment in, in Russia has ground to a halt. You Western countries provided, Western investors provided capital investment. Why is that important? To develop those oil fields they have, they had to have capital investment. That's they had why Shell owned 10% of Gazprom. Because they had to have loans and they had to have investment. It all just ground to a halt. Russia is in a world of hurt right now economically. It won't manifest itself for several months, but they're in a corner and they're digging the hole deeper and they're getting deep in the corner. This is a little scary. Um, but if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give fiduciary investment advice to people of relatively high net worth. Uh, the local phone number is, there's voicemail waiting on the weekends, real life people during the week. The number is? 254-947-1111. You can reach that same number toll free with a different number at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can uh, contact us through the contact form. You can email us directly, jeff or jake at tpwc.com. The website has newsletters. You can sign up for them. You can read them. We've got the radio programs going back in full length, or you can go anywhere you want for podcasts on the subject that'll have bite-sized pieces. Until next hour.